0: Twenty minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack A Day Podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome into this all new co-branded episode of the Pack A Day Podcast, along with the Acme Packing Company. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know, my guest, he's the one and only Justice Mosqueda. You can find him on Twitter or X at J-U-M-O-S-Q. We are a day late. Uh, It feels a little bit weird, especially with the game being on Saturday, Justice, but uh, still great to catch up with you. And first of all, thank you for doing this all season long. This has been an absolute joy to be able to discuss Packers with you all throughout the season. I'm sure we'll do it a little bit more in the offseason as well. But uh, how have you been? And again, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, good. Been happy to do this with you all
0: season. Couldn't make it work yesterday because I had to. Go get a CPAP and see if I need a CPAP while I'm sleeping. So I slept like Darth Vader all taped up and stuff last night. We'll see what
1: happens. So well, good luck with that. Uh, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, obviously we haven't had a, a chance for you and I to discuss the the Packers 49ers game. So let's start there and then we'll get to more of a, a you know broader picture approach of what's gonna happen, you know, next steps for Green Bay and those sort of things. But Packers 49ers, almost 10-point underdogs, everything right in their hands, seven-point lead going into the fourth quarter. We all know the storylines, the mistakes, the missed opportunities at this point, but when you've kind of had the chance to go back, watch the tape, re-watch the tape, look at the All-22, what really stood out to you in this one?
0: I don't think the Packers played well, and that's kind of the biggest takeaway, right? You would think that... You know, you're playing a one seed on the road in the rain, right? Um, against all these skill players, you know the the front seven was supposed to be an issue. All that stuff, you know, they're ten point underdogs, like you mentioned. Um, you would think they probably played a little bit better than they actually did on Saturday. I almost said Sunday. Um, I don't think they played that well, which mm-hmm. can be seen as like a good sign, right? Like we almost beat the one seed without being, you know. Good. Yeah. Uh, full force. Isn't the, the right thing, but not having things break your way. Right. Like Matt keeps bringing up, um, you know, three trips to the red zone. You came out with six points. Right. That's definitely a big one. Um, thought we should have gotten the spot on that, that fourth and goal. Look, yep. um, we had what umpteen interception. Potential like potential interceptions that we could have grabbed. I know everyone points to the Savage one, but there were a couple others. Nixon, um, for sure. The Kittle one to the the Kittle touchdown. I thought. I don't know how you thought about that play. That to me looked like it was Cover One, and someone didn't have a post safety. Um, the way it worked out, right? They had doubles, so two guys on each side. Sorry, I moved my microphone when I said that. <laughs> I use my hands. Um, So they go doubles, they motion in a bunch, right? So they have, I believe it was Ayuk at the X. So he's the isolated wide receiver. The the trip side, because they're in a bunch, right? You can't play man against it. And it seemed like they wanted to play man against it. So that's an example of, you know, Packers fans calling for man coverage. Well, you can't when there's three guys who are all bunched up right next to each other, right? Because they're just going to run some sort of pick play. Someone's going to run deep. Um, I think that whenever they shifted from that doubles formation... To that trips formation they also shifted the coverage and they shifted from something that would have had anthony johnson jr who i think was supposed to play the post safety in that play um you know hit him clouding up that side with Ayuk, to then shifting to cover one where he's supposed to be the whole guy which is why you see everyone play trail position which in man coverage trail position you know you're you're kind of underneath the guy and you're forcing everything basically to that post-safety. Well, that post-safety is never there, and you see the sideline shots during the broadcast where Savage is throwing his hands up, Jair's throwing his hands up. They're like, what the hell was that? And I think that's just a rookie mistake, maybe not getting communication. I mean, I know um, I, we could talk about Barry All-You-Want and stuff like that, right? I, that's kind of been an issue all year when guys have talked about communication and stuff breaking down. I think, you know, one of those plays goes another way and we're preparing for you know the Detroit Lions going into it talking about like do we have a beat on this team do we actually have a chance to make it to the Super Bowl all that stuff um but i don't i don't think they played a very sharp game and then the love interception at the end after watching the all 22 i kind of get what love was trying to do there psycho play to try to attempt though like literally something like Maybe at any given time, five quarterbacks in the league try, right? Right. Just from like an arm talent perspective. So the way that it was working out is basically he's got this cutter that is is clearing the field. He's basically trying to throw it from rolling right outside the numbers to outside the numbers to the other numbers on the left side of the field, whipping it across his body. And if there wasn't that extra defender and he actually would have been able to like get the ball there, I think that thing gets completed but he just didn't get enough umph on it. And then the extra defender comes into play and like, yeah, of course it's going to get picked. Um, yeah. I feel like not as dumb as I thought it was in live time. You don't want that guy taking that shot on first down. Like we, right. we had three more attempts, right? Um, that wasn't the time for that play. But like, if you have like a timeout fourth down, um. Fifteen seconds left on the clock. You're trying to drive down the field. Like it's probably a ball you need to throw.
1: Yeah. Um, there's nothing else on the play. Nuts. Like obviously, the yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. The right read is to throw it away. Throw it like, away. Throw it away. Like, it
0: first down. Yeah.
1: There's so. there's nothing. There's nothing else. I. The one thing that I looked back. So there's there's actually two other things on that play. One is the the check uh, by Aaron Jones or like the, the little, you know, he stays into block and, and help yeah. chip, I should say. Um, and then he kind of gets tossed. And my assumption is he's supposed to go out in the flat on that play. Yeah. And then and he, that's how a he, lot of those protections work. Absolutely. Yeah. So he stumbles out of it as he's kind of gets thrown away by, I'm assuming it was Bosa, So maybe it was chase young, but, um, he gets kind of thrown to the side stumbles and then has this like brief moment of like, he sees jo- uh, love rolling out. And comes back to try to block, but he doesn't have the angle to try to block. I think if he just continues out that love hits him in the flat and it probably picks up eight, nine yards, they might've had to use the timeout. I'm not sure if he gets out of bounds or not, but there's yards there to be had, but the whole play just got sort of thrown off. We also heard from Matt yesterday and, and like in the press conference, um, he was asked about it, that it sounds like Aaron tweaked his hamstring on the big 50 plus yard run. That's and- what. So
0: that's what Aaron said. Right, okay. Aaron, Aaron said that to reporters when he said he basically pulled up because he started feeling it stretch out. Which, Andy, when's the last time you've gone on a run? You look like you've gone on a run more recently than I have. No, I do not, not run; I lift weights. Um,
1: have you ever felt a hamstring start to pull and not actually pull? Actually, pull no, but like these guys are made different. But no, I've yeah, not ever had like, anything like that. That's this. that's something. I
0: can't even fathom. I mean, I have I have buddies who are you know, they work like track and field at the college level and stuff like that. I gotta ask them about that this week because I've never been moving
1: fast enough where uh that could be a problem for me. Yeah, same. But I don't know if like that like played a part where he just didn't feel like it almost felt like maybe it, it I don't know, whatever. But then um that was number one is that he didn't have that check down. If he has the check down, I think love just tosses it to him. Number two is I think it's it's Watson obviously going one way. And I think it's Reed on the the his side of the field. And neither of those guys work back to the ball. Like even like they see Jordan rolling out and Reed just keeps on going and Watson just keeps on going. And it's like, at some point when the the play sort of breaks down, I would have loved one of those guys to just like reverse course and like, try to work back to the quarterback a little bit, but they just kept running their routes. There was nowhere to go. Like you said, it should have been just a throwaway, but it's, it's a weird looking play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I'll oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to go just back to the, the Anthony Johnson Jr. play too, just something that you reminded me of. There's a few times in this game where, and you brought it up where like, Hey, you want to see more blitzing blitzing did not go well for green Bay in this game. There's a couple times. There's another key. What was it a third down situation where they bring, they bring Keyshawn laid off the, the slot. And like, he's just not even remotely close to getting home. And they, they brought six or seven people. And It's just, there's multiple times where, they brought pressure and it didn't even even come close. The one with Nixon coming deep, um, that's the one where like Purdy just buys a little bit of time. Like no one even comes close to him, and they're buying six or seven on the or bringing six or seven six on the play. I think it was. But some of the blitzing in this game just did not hit home, and you leave some of those defenders in the backfield vulnerable when you blitz, and obviously they don't even get close to the quarterback.
0: Yeah, and then I think there are also opportunities too where I thought Carl Brooks was playing pretty well. Um, there were a lot of times where. He's coming loose on the interior and it just happened to be the plays that Purdy was getting the ball out the fastest. Right. And it's just like, what can you do? You wish that it happened on another play, but like um, it didn't. And, you know, maybe you play that thing again and it looks a little bit different from a pressure perspective, but in that game, they weren't doing the best job. I don't know if Enik Barre would have helped that much. It seemed like they were playing, you know, Gary Preston LVN. Plenty of the the Devondre Campbell snaps on the edge were a little bit interesting. Um, Thought he played poorly, but outside of that, no crazy takeaways from this game. It's not like they came out in a totally different defense than they've played all season. Just a couple of plays where, you know, bonehead mistake. Rookie seventh round pick is in at safety. He doesn't remember to play post safety. Touchdown, six points on the board. Changes the game.
1: Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to add was you mentioned obviously that the Packers just didn't play well in this game. And maybe that's a good thing. That's something I mentioned as well. I thought they played like maybe like a C minus game in this one. I think you could actually make some arguments. I know we can we'll talk about Joe Barry in just a minute in that sort of situation. I did think there were times he put his defenders in positions to succeed and they just didn't. There were a lot of those instances on tape. Obviously, a Darnell Savage pick, the Keyshawn Nixon play. We can go on and on. But overall, as I went back and watched this, I didn't I didn't think that this was like this super great defensive performance. And I know Matt praised it after the game. I know they held him down to some extent. I think the Debo Samuel injury played a massive, massive part in that. Um, but yeah, I think they played a C- game. They lost the turnover battle by two. They missed a very clear and obvious field goal. And they had like all those other opportunities go against them. And they still had every opportunity and probably should have won that game. But I know that that as much as that's a heartache and a gut punch and nothing's guaranteed moving forward, that also gives me a lot of faith of like, they just, and it was on the road, wet conditions. Like they didn't even play a good game with the youngest team in football with a up and coming team. And they were still right there to win this game. That still gives me a ton of confidence moving forward. Yeah, I think, I think they're going to be the favorites in the North next year. If not,
0: it's going to be pretty close in terms of, you know, early lines or whatever. I mean, maybe lines win the Super Bowl and that kind of changes things, but I think they're going to be right there with the lines um next year. People talk about windows and they're like, you know, the, you know, how how, how do you know that this team is going to come close again and stuff like that? Like saw someone bring up 2011 and they were like that was an opportunity and all this stuff. I'm like they went to the NFC Championship game like four more times after 2011. Yeah. This is a young this is like the youngest Offense to ever be fielded in the NFL, and they didn't even have a good game, and they were able to stick around with the one seed. I'm not worried about the future outlook of this team. I think I have some question marks on the defensive side, but on the offense, like these are the guys who are going to be around for a while. The biggest concern, like left tackle, is supposed to be a big deal, but like if it's Rasheed Walker, is that the worst thing? No, like no, like my biggest concern long term is like, can we do we have running backs, and like that's. We already had, like, Aaron Jones is coming back next year. Yeah. Like, the future status of a running back situation. There's so many offenses that have so many more issues than what Green Bay has. Like, I, th- I think we're going to be in a good spot for a while. So,
1: yeah, I haven't lost any confidence of the team moving forward. No, I don't think so either. I think they'll be. A, I know it's not a great running back draft, but I think they'll be aggressive at running back in the draft to try to find a little bit more juice. We'll see what happens to to AJ Dillon. if they do bring him back. Obviously, Matt spoke highly of AJ yesterday. Um, but yeah, I, I, overall, if that's what your concern is, is like backup running back and some depth on the offensive line, like you're in a really good spot offensively. Defensively is another situation and issue, and I think they do need to add some playmaking, some talent on that side of the ball. We'll get to the defensive coordinator discussion but as you look back at this season as a whole um what else you know kind of stood out to you obviously the offense well ahead of schedule defense disappointing special teams disappointing are there any like you know i'll just say like justice-esque things that like you always find these like you know different angles to things of like when you look back at the season um anything else that kind of stood out to you or that you take away from this year hey there I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. Price Picks: Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy. Couple of the younger guys standing out, I think, are now pieces you
0: have to think about moving into the off And you know, when you're talking about roster construction and all that stuff, like I think Carrentin Valentine is good enough that you don't have to worry about outside corner, even with Eric Stokes's you know injury history now, right? So you have that situation. Carl Brooks might be their second best interior defensive lineman. Like oh, I yeah. want to i wouldn't hate the idea of just like using Devonte white and tj slayton and treating them as if they are one player right where like White is going to play on yeah why going to play on pass rushing downs why is going to play on rundowns and then use brooks as the other guy opposite of kenny clark right and then if kenny goes down okay um or, or if slayton goes down okay kenny moves to you know nose, and then you know you have brooks and wyatt at end um that situation i think. Uh D- McDuffie played solid all year. Um don't think he's any sort of a force in the pass coverage game, which is kind of funny because you you would think a smaller guy is more of a pass coverage guy than a rundown guy, but I thought he did a pretty good job on rundowns. Um yep. I think we're at the point now where you look at Campbell's million that he's going to be owed next season in terms of the cash. And I'm not really worried about the cap space right now because they can manipulate the cap space and all that stuff. Um, I think what it boils down to me, Campbell, he's going to be paid $10 million. Do you want to pay $10 million whether it comes in 2024, 2025, 2026, whatever you want to do it? Is his 2024 play worth $10 million? And at this point, I think it's no. no. And I know the linebacker class, if you look at the consensus draft board right now, there's no inside linebacker prospect who's supposed to be a top 50 pick, right? So no kind of sure thing at inside linebacker. Um, But I wouldn't hate the idea of saving $10 million with Campbell and just rolling with Quay Walker, McDuffie, and then trying to find some rookie in the draft to kind of add to that competition and saying, Hey, whoever the two best guys are start um, and just moving on from Campbell. Um, That's kind of, my big takeaway from the late stretch has really been the the Campbell type of situation. And then, you know, who knows how he fits in with the locker room and stuff after what he said, which I'm not trying to overblow. I mean, it does. it's, he's not, it, it, if he's let go, it's not going to be because he said he's not playing through injury anymore. It's because he's all, you know, always banged up and it seems like he's lost the step and it's one of those Adrian Amos type of situations more than any sort of off the field type of thing. So
1: we are 1 billion percent in lockstep i know a lot of people will look at it and say well if you release devondre campbell if you if he plays this year his cap number is 14.2 million and if you release them, you only get 2.6 million in savings this year. And that's like the easy, like, Oh, Apple said, like, are you? $10 what you, million you dollars. Think about exactly. the $10
0: million. That's exactly. all that matters. Is he worth yep. $10 million in 2024? That's, all that's you the, should the
1: be best thinking. way to look at it. Because if you just look at it from a simplistic standpoint, you might talk yourself into, yeah, one year for 2.6. That's not bad, but you have to consider then you have dead cap next year when you release them next year. And you like the, the, the and roster. Even bonus, then
0: you, can, you can post June one, designate them too. And yep. like, if you're, if you're not going to use that 2.6 um, and you want to use that money, maybe like that can be used for like a Jordan love extension down, down the line. Right. Like yep. if you want to wait on the love extension, just in terms of when it, when it triggers and stuff like that, like I'm not worried about the cap savings, the 10000%. doing the math on that. Like it's all about the $10 million.
1: That's Exactly. 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 We, we see that the exact same way. And to me, it's a no brainer uh, to me. He lost his, like, here's, here's the easy way for me. Um, at 10 million, you need to be a full-time player. And by the end of the season, they were platooning him with Isaiah McDuffie. Like they're to me, like they almost told you with Runyon and, and Campbell, like I, we don't trust these players as full-time players anymore. Like we're starting to get people in their place of like taking some of their snaps. To me, that's all I need to know of like, they're probably going to move on from Campbell. And I'm not sure now Runyon played better as the seat at the end of the season, last four or five weeks. And that's maybe a different decision dependent upon what he's asking for. And he clearly wants to be back in green Bay. But um, to me, the way that they were platooning him with McDuffie at the end of the year, it's just, that's the, that's the very obvious. And there's just not a lot of other ways to, you know, if they do want to move on and, and start again, getting a little bit more fiscally responsible moving forward with some of these guys, I don't think Preston's on his way out. We already talked about Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark's not going anywhere. Like I, I don't think anyone else makes sense. To me, Campbell's the one, and he's going to be 31 this upcoming season, too. I, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute no-brainer to me. Yeah, I mean,
0: path to the off-season right, is figure out what you're going to do with Jones's situation. Um, I think it's probably just shaving like a million and a half off of the salary and then rolling with right. it. And then if you want to salary convert him, do it, I guess. Like you're gonna have a bunch of guys on cheap rookie deals moving forward. I know people are talking about 2025 as like the year we get out of this cap situation. If you add Aaron Jones's, you know, cap hit in there, like it's not that big of a deal. is obviously the the major question mark. I don't have any idea what they do there. And then getting out of the Campbell deal and just kind of taking your medicine, whether. You want to post June 1 him or just allow it. The the, the post June 1 thing for people who don't understand that is basically at the uh, start of the season or start of the new league year. Right. Like you can post June 1 designate, which means that um, the dead cap that would be hitting the Packers salary cap, at least during the off di- during 2024. Right. Will only be his prorated signing bonus for this season. And then the rest of the signing bonus would hit in 2025, which again, maybe you're taking a little bit less money to play around in 2025, but I don't think that's going to be that big of a deal. Like 2025 is still going to be a season where for the most part, the Packers are out of the woods in terms of the back paying and accounting and stuff like that from like the Rogers all in era, which have you ever talked about it from the context of all in? Anytime I say all in, people get very mad and they're like, we weren't all in. I'm like, guys, we were, we, were. we really yeah. were like, there's so many undrafted guys and late round guys who made this team and stuff. And there were plenty of times where the team was only rostering like 51, 52 guys on the, on the salary cap. Cause they wanted to save a couple, you know, a couple of these weekly checks. Like we were against it, man. We're really- From a
1: salary cap standpoint, they were a million percent all and they literally there was like no other like lever to pull to like open up money in 2021 um when they were in yeah no 2022, sorry. Um 2022 their- they were they had no options. No, like yeah, no options. So the like idea that,
0: uh, that I don't even know what their plan was cuz apparently right all the reporting says that they did give Devonte a contract offer in 2022 yep. that would have been competitive with the Raiders. I genuinely have no idea how that would have worked. It would
1: have had to have been, yeah, I don't know either. Is like Aaron taking less money, I don't know. I like I it would have almost had know. to have been like uh, one year, like super low base salary, and not dealing in signing bonuses, and then like the next years would be like fully guaranteed, like base salaries or something. And, and then would like been well, an expansion team for three years. Like yes, basically. <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that, and then the Rogers trade too. Of like, if they don't pull that off, and the cap hit that they would have had from him too is another what I mean, if would scenario. Have to that, trade love. So yeah, it's another what nightmare situation. Um, but yeah, like, how they go about doing this, I still kind of want to see them. Um, oh, the one other thing I was going to say: the only reason, the only thing that they weren't like all in, all in, is there was still the avenues to like trade first round picks for like established players. But again, then you have salary that like you can't take on. Like it's yeah, yeah, we're in the same page. It would have, it would have been really hard to trade like the first or second round picks for established players. When those established players are making 10, 15 million, they just didn't have the money to do it. All right. Uh, But yes, Devondre Campbell will be an interesting situation. Um, I want to ask you about wide receiver really quick before we get to Joe Barry, because I've already seen some of this chatter and I actually even think um of the 49ers guy was at Crocker that posted it as well as like, and this, this Packers team is going to be really good if they get Jordan a legit number one wide receiver. Um, I, I have zero need, want, desire, or anything almost for any wide receiver. Now, if a guy falls into your lap on day two or day three of the draft that you have a high grade on, can you take him? In my opinion, yes, like that's fine, I'm not upset by it, but at the same token, you're we, we already these past two weeks saw. Just how many targets there are to go around. And we're talking about like Christian Watson with, I think, what, two or three catches over the past two games. Malik Heath can't even get active. Um, you know, uh, Jaden Reed has zero catches two weeks ago, Dontavian Wicks, I think zero catches this past week. Like we're already talking about like, oh, you're not featuring these guys. It's like, well, there's only so many throws to go around for all of these guys. And now it's like, all right, are you bringing another wide receiver? Are you deactivating Milton and Heath each game? Like I, I don't have, and then you still have Musgrave and Kraft you're going to need to feed yep. That's I don't the other have, thing too. I don't yeah. have much desire. And I, the way I look at this offense is there's not a number one guy that they have to target at any given moment. Everyone does things a little bit better and, and are sort of the pseudo number one receiver dependent upon what they need on a specific play. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I have, I have no desire or interest in spending premium money or premium draft picks on a big, now Marvin Harrison might, comes available at, you know, pick 25 <laughs> or whatever. It's fine. I'm not going to argue, but like realistically I, I have no desire.
0: Yeah, I I can't see it. I can't see it. I mean, maybe when the offense was struggling in the first half of the season, but the the Reed breakout, the Wicks breakout, the Melton breakout, um hopefully Watson can stay healthy. You know, Dobbs has kind of been the steady eddy in the room the last two years. Like I don't see any reason why they would need to split those reps even further and cut down on even more developmental time. No, it doesn't make sense.
1: It would be so funny. If after all the years the Packer fans have been craving a wide receiver in every single draft, that like the one time where like most people are like, yeah, you know, we don't have to look at wide receiver this year if this is the year they went wide receiver in the first round. But yes, I don't I don't think it's going to happen either. All right, let's let's go to Joe Barry Uh, under contract Joe Barry, which we found out this week. Uh, a pretty massive decision coming up for for matt lafleur which by the way meant that he got extended after 2022 that's the only way that that happened or they gave a
0: four-year deal for some reason they didn't give him a four-year deal there's no i don't think so either no he he definitely got an extension after 2022 is how the situation played out if you're doing the math there yeah why would be my first question they didn't want him to be a lame duck they didn't I mean, the lame duck thing is kind of a college football thing. It's not really an NFL thing. I know people bring it up and they're like, you know, guys don't want NFL coaches on expiring contracts. I mean, that's the, that stuff happens a decent amount. I mean, maybe they got scared because, um, dang, who was the DB's coach last year? Um, uh, Jerry Gray. Jerry Gray. I mean, Jerry Gray left on an expiring contract. He left to go be AHC with the Atlanta Falcons, which is something – you know, it's basically a positional coach job. The Packers could have blocked that potentially, right? Um, but he had an expiring contract, and you know he dipped out. Um, maybe that's a situation that they lived right. In. Mike Smith a couple of years ago went to Minnesota on an expiring. I think or- I don't remember if that was expiring or if that was a mutual parting thing. Got um, it. Okay. I would have to look back at the reporting for that. I know Barry or uh, Gray. Sorry, right. um, it's the A. The A. Y. Messed me up somehow. Um, R-A-Y. Um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a reason. Like, the, the reason they do it in college football and they don't want you in an expiring deal is because you're recruiting, right? It's hard to go into someone's house and tell their mama, like, I'm going to raise your child. Like, you don't know if you're going to be there in January, right? In the NFL, it's a little bit of a different thing. So, to put it the shortest way, they extended them because they wanted to, Yeah, right? And that's kind of part of it. I've done... Um, a little bit of work this week, talking to people, trying to tap in on like, okay, why does Barry keep getting, why does he keep lingering? Right. And a lot of it is just players coach players loved him in LA, all that stuff. Um, coaches, he's really easy to work with. I think you can look at, uh, so Jacksonville is a really good example right now of like a political battle. Um, I don't think Doug Peterson is making his own staff, right? And there becomes a level of friction when things like that start to happen. And when you start telling a coach, hey, you have to go can your guy. Um, Another great example, uh, Pete Carroll. So Pete Carroll is a guy who is uh, getting a lot of love from the coaching community for basically staring down the barrel and saying, screw it, I'll fall on the sword. Um, Pete Carroll was basically told to completely rehaul his coaching staff and that him and Schneider would get one more season basically as a prove it year in Seattle. And he said to hell with that. Um, I will resign. I'm going to step away and you're going to give John Schneider a legitimate chance to kind of build this team up because he's a talented person. He's capable and he's the right man for the job. Right. Um there are a lot of times that you could start playing little political battles in the NFL and Joe Barry has not wanted to do that. And right. that makes him very easy to work with, with other coaches. So that's where you get it from the coaching staff, right? It's that he's very even keeled, right? Um, if you're going to get the same guy pretty consistently, he's not going to go behind your back, trash you to the media, do all this sorts of stuff. Um when things aren't maybe going right or he doesn't get the draft pick that he wants and stuff like, I I know a guy in the NFL um, or of a guy in the NFL, he's a linebackers coach. He only wants the general manager to pick athletic linebackers for his resume. And if they're bad, he can blame it on the general manager. And if they're good, he can say, I coach them up. Right. There's a lot of ways to play these little dumb office politics games and he stays out of it. Plus on top of that players coach, right? That's why, Barry's kind of sticking around. Um, And I do, I mean, you haven't asked the question, but I do think he's going to stick around. The fact, you know, Matt stood up for him at every point possible. He said the defense was fantastic after Saturday night. I do not agree with that, but he said it. Um, When they asked Matt about it, he basically was like, oh, I haven't even talked to Joe. So, you know, you can't ask me those questions. It's basically, you know, a force field, right? Hey. I actually can't answer any of those. Um, But when they asked him about a timeline, which is kind of the only rebuttal question that you can ask at that point, like I'm not blaming the press that was there at the end of the year presser and stuff like that. I understand what type of gig and the fact that, you know, Matt summoned a force field in front of him. Um, But when they asked, you know, how long is this process going to take? He basically smiled and said, however the long, however the hell long I want. Right. Yeah. He's coming back guys. He is. He just, he simply is. I I would be pretty shocked at this point if he wasn't. And I don't know if it would be like if Rabel is available because again, you know, Matt was, you know, his OC in in Tennessee, like maybe that changes some things or I don't know if it's like a, if the right guy becomes available type of thing that would change his mind. But at this
1: point I'm heavy favorite that Barry's coming back. Interesting. I don't know that I necessarily expected you to go in that direction. Let me ask you this. Let's say that is the case. Let's say they stick with Joe Barry. Do you see them bringing in uh, Brandon Staley as like a assistant to Joe Barry or like somebody that maybe has, again, run this scheme? I don't think Everil would go for anything like that unless he's just biding his time until he gets a head coaching job. Um, but is there somebody that you bring in as like an assistant to him to maybe like give it a boost if nothing else?
0: I don't know. So um, you're limited on how many coaches on the field you can have, right? Um, in terms of like the actual assistants and not like the assistance to the assistants. So if you're adding someone and he's not a defensive coordinator and you have a PGC and an RGC already, run game coordinator, uh, pass game coordinator, it would probably have to come in the form of assistant head coach. Yeah. Um, which is something that can work, right? Like um, a guy who's getting a lot of burn right now in the league in terms of the coaching carousel, right? Anthony Weaver is a guy who's an assistant head coach for the Baltimore Ravens. He's a defensive line coach is what he is for them. So yeah. it would have to be splitting AHC between um, Rich Passaccia and whoever else comes in. AHC is a kind of overrated role, in my opinion. In terms of if you're like looking at it and you're like, "Oh, they're co-AHCs. What does that mean?" You're not having the same conversation as co-offensive coordinator, which is who is, who is calling the plays, right? Rich already said, I, I think, in the summer, right, when they asked him about his AHC title um, after he got, I think, what was it, head coaching interview with the Colts, um, yeah, I think so. and he was like, "My job's the same, guys. They just gave me a pay boost. Like, that's kind of what it is. It's just like highly paid." positional coach so maybe they do something like that maybe they look to shake up the staff um i don't know where you shake up the staff i think you know the the db's coaches are young they just brought them in yeah um inside linebacker i always mess up how you say the last the guy's last name so i'm not gonna say yep i think he's done a half decent job even though we all pretty much dislike what we've gotten from the linebacker unit like McDuffie took a pretty significant step forward and he's been there for a while. Um, I think he's one of the more respected coaches on the staff. The edge rushers. I don't think you make a move there. I mean, if anything, it's D line coach, right? Cause, and even then, like you had, you had Brooks kind of take a step up why it's, you know, a better pass rusher this year than he was last year. Kenny had one of his better years this year. In my opinion, I know like PFF and stuff to, like that doesn't agree with it, but, that's my thought on the situation. So maybe you bring in an AHC, maybe you look in at shaking up something differently on the defensive line coaches, but I don't think there's going to be that much turnover on the staff.
1: Justice, I hope you are wrong. Um, and then we
0: a can, a lot of people you. hope I'm wrong. I <laughs> I kind of hope I'm wrong, but like, I mean, it would be nice to have an all-star staff of defensive coaches, um, Carolina just hired an all-star staff on both sides of the ball, and it didn't really work out well for them. Um, True. I don't know. I'm just calling it how I'm reading the tea leaves right now, and that's kind of what I thought. N- none of this is hashtag sourced, by the way. The only time I talked to people this week was really to kind of figure out, like, why do people like Joe Barry so much? And I already asked, yeah. I already told you guys what that deal was about.
1: All right, four quick off-season questions, and we'll get you out of here. First one, if they do, they do end up moving on from Joe Barry, who would be your one of your top choices or maybe a couple names that you'd want to keep an eye on? Um,
0: well, I think Leonard's going to be at the top of, like, everyone's list, right? Is Everett taking interviews? I haven't been following the
1: – He's been DC. taking coaching interviews. I don't know, know that he's yeah, taking an defensive coordinator interviews, but he's definitely taking coaching interviews. Yeah, so he might be a
0: guy who, you know, they kind of pet him, right? Where, you know, they keep him at D.C. over multiple uh, uh, head coaches, right? Yeah. Um, those, two, those two guys were near the top of the list, right, when when Matt made that decision to hire Joe, Joe Barry. So I would say those guys. Um, really, the way that I think the NFL is moving right now, like you look at the top defenses in the league and – it's just really hard to play stagnant defense in the NFL. Um bring blitzers, man. And like, you know, you look at what works and it's, you know, it's it's bulls, it's Flores, it's everyone that Baltimore has pumped out over the years, including Wink Martindale, right? It's um Spagnolo blitzing like crazy. Like I feel like we talk about the struggles that, you know, Jordan Love could have potentially faced more so when he's facing those kind of defenses than when he's playing these match quarters teams. Right. And by the yep. way, outside of Fangio and even, you know, Fangio at this point in Miami, I don't think the defense was going really great outside of Fangio. I don't know if this defense has worked. No, it has Right. So like even, even like the heavy cover three teams, right. Like the teams that were doing kind of the, the Seattle Seahawks type of stuff, like, San Francisco's blitzing a little bit more with Wilkes than they ever have. Right. Like go look at what Bob Sala is doing in New York and they have a really good defense. Right. Um, You have talent at cornerback and we're using one of the systems that probably utilize that talent less because you're just using them to, to drop down the sideline. Right. And okay. By alignment, we're taking away the sideline. It's like, okay, well that doesn't, really help out Jair Alexander we're following we're funneling all these targets to the middle of the field where where you have your worst coverage players right exactly where we're like you know Coy Walker Devondre Campbell um Jonathan Owens right like why are we letting teams pepper those guys with targets where it's like go win man coverage against Jair Right, go do it. I dare you. I want Jair to be targeted because yeah. he's one of the better guys when when he's targeted. So I would think that if he's not going to go with an Evero, if he's not going to go with a Leonard or something like that, I would hope that they would be looking in a direction toward one of these blitz-heavy kind of guys.
1: I'm with you 100. Uh, percent Competition at kicker sounds like Matt wants competition. Is going to be a like legitimate like Chase McLaughlin Buccaneers kicker? Kicker is this going to be like? Uh, some random undrafted free agent that we've never heard of are like, what do you, what are you expecting here out of kicker competition? Well, they don't have that much money to play around with this year. Right. Yep. Which is something that
0: we brought up. Um, kickers are increasingly getting more paid. Um, I don't know if that's English, even more paid, um, but, but they're commanding higher salaries. Uh, you saw it last year where two kickers went very early in the draft, right? And Green Bay ended up getting Anders Carlson, who was not expected to get drafted in the sixth round, just to have a body there. Um, Do you remember who Green Bay's kicker was coming into
1: April? Uh, Why can't I think of his name? Um, That's going to bother me now. Parker White. Oh, Parker White. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was that was their kicker. I Would not have cut. called that no matter how long you gave me. I would not have remembered. <laughs> about. I had going. to
0: I had to look it up. Um, by the way, so that <laughs> don't don't feel too bad. Um, he was a guy who's cut first day of OTAs or before it. Um, so there's scarcity at the kicker position right now in the NFL. There's teams in that market. So if you're gonna be looking in free agency, you're gonna have to pay that guy. The way that they've talked about it is not we're cutting bait on Anders. We just want to have an extra guy in there, which is different than this past year, by the way, yep. um, Matt played it off as, you know, we, yeah, we want competition. We want competition everywhere. They cleared the runways for Anders Carlson to get every rep last season. Yeah. Um, there's four guys in this draft who could potentially get drafted. Um, th- there's a kid from Arkansas who declared early. The big one, probably the only guy who's a lock to get drafted is uh Will Reichard from Alabama, and then uh, Josh Cardi from Stanford is actually pretty good. Unfortunately, I had to see a lot of his games out here on the West Coast. He's actually a pretty solid kicker. Um, maybe you go from one of those guys if they're available in the late rounds. But again, I think kicker is getting pushed up the draft board because of the scarcity of the position right now. I would think that it's probably just splitting around with like a UDFA rookie or... You know, working the waiver wire, right? We've seen them do that, you know, in the past. Um, I don't think it's going to come from someone who commands a high investment. But I think it's interesting because I kind of wouldn't want them to, as dumb as that sounds. I, I know it's a. I one, I understand missing, you know, kicks or PATs in 10 of your last 12 games is a problem. Not great. I, I get that. <laughs> I understand. Um, But I think you want to give the kid his reps. And then the other thing, too, is like, are you going to know, really, in the preseason, you know, if he's ready to go or not? Like, you kind of need live action. And then a lot of these guys aren't available when teams have 90-man rosters. And when they cut down to 53, that's kind of when these kickers start becoming available. Like, there might be better kickers available for cheaper in mid-October than there are in March. Right, yeah, you're so like, if if Carlson isn't playing well, cut bait in mid October. I'm okay with drawing a line in the sand there and saying, like, you get six games. If it's still this bad, we're gonna look at a veteran. But like I don't really see how financially from an asset perspective it really makes sense to push him in March when like games aren't gonna start until September.
1: Justice Mosqueda known Joe Barry and Anders Carlson supporter. You can find him on Twitter at J U M O S Q. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally messing around. You make a ton of really good points, which is uh, the frustrating aspect of this for a lot of people. I'm sure. Um, Cause I know everyone is just the easy thing is by Joe Barry, by Anders Carlson, but oh, it's um, so
0: easy to fire people.
1: It is really easy. To it's fire so people, easy to fire Twitter, people, <laughs> especially on Twitter, especially on Twitter. Um, well, all right, quick one. Uh, Enigbari's injury, does that uh change anything this off-season as they go into it? Um or do you still have enough with Cox, Smith, Gary, LVN that you get by until he gets back?
0: Yeah, man. That's an interesting one. If you look at the the Gary timeline, right? Gary wasn't full force. Um the the way that it would work, right, is that it took 11 months for Gary to become full force in the in the defensive rotation. So if you're doing the math here, you're like, "Wait, that means that Nick Barre isn't
1: going to be ready full force until like December. Right. And also like Gary was playing 39 snaps against Dallas to the point where like, I think he kind of wore down as the season went along. Yeah. Too. So so, like.
0: I mean, we all assume LVN is going to take that next step up and maybe Gary needs to be spelled less. Right. Um, moving forward. Um, so that'll help. But in terms of the roster construction, they're going to have to find a fourth pass rusher somewhere. Thought it was really interesting they called up Keyshawn banks instead of letting Brenton cox jr play um they rostered him all season i think he ended up playing a total of like three or four defensive snaps all year um if you look at the Packers roster right now and i know people don't really want to talk about reserve futures contracts um which are basically like practice squad guys who get signed to like the 90-man roster those used to be super important for us when we were signing guys to the xfl Um, spent way too much time tracking practice squad cast. One of the most disgusting periods of my life. Um, (laughs) Especially like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to talk about that too much. But the Packers have technically 10 outside linebackers on their roster. That's a lot of linebackers going into it. And the Packers only have, I think it's um, 59 players under contract going into next season. So like one out of six. Yeah. yeah, one out of six are outside linebackers. So I think they're already preparing for some sort of competition there. Um, maybe they look at someone in the draft. I would think it's probably the fourth round plus that they'd be looking to add go. a body there. Um, but outside of that, I'm not expecting that much more. I think they're just going to do what they've done so far, which is, hey, we're adding a lot of competition at this, at the position. And it's, you know... It's going to be a king of the hill type of situation by cutdowns where it's like four, of you're going to make the team. There's 12 of you. Three of you are locks to make the roster. Good luck
1: to the other nine. Whichever one makes it is, is, you know, going to be named champion. Keyshawn Banks, two snaps in this game. One was the kneel down. The other one did a nice job setting the edge on his one play. Um, but that's all I got on Keyshawn Banks. All right. Oh. Uh, really quick. Uh, you and I both came across a very similar name as a potential free agent addition. I know people at safety are going to immediately get drawn to Antoine Winfield jr. Xavier McKinney, both are going to get paid, maybe stay with their own teams. We'll have to wait and see, but a name that both you and I, I think like Gino stone safety for the Ravens. Ravens have some depth at that safety position. Yeah. Stone's probably going to get a decent contract coming off. what was a really nice season for him in Baltimore. That could be a name to keep an eye on former Iowa guy, uh, which just fits in perfect. Uh, but yep. uh, could be a really fun name for green Bay to keep an eye on that safety this off season.
0: Yeah. I think he was the league leader in interceptions. I didn't see seven, that until seven,
1: I think something. Yeah, I,
0: think. I, I didn't realize that until after I was looking up his contract info. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's had a really solid year. He's kind of a breakout guy. He's on the younger end. He's 24 years old. Yep. Um. So that's one of the big differences. A lot of the safeties in this draft class are not draft class, free agency class. You start looking at them and, you know, they're all like 28, 29, 31, right? Stuff like that. Um. The Packers historically haven't really gone after those guys, at least on deals that are any sort of significant. Yep. I think Stone is the guy I'd probably highlight. Um. Played really well in that super blitz heavy scheme. Um, Had a pretty good pass coverage um, season. I know he's a little iffy in the run, but like he's better than Jonathan Owens. I'll tell you that. Like I don't, I don't think he's going to cost that much either. Um, And Baltimore is probably going to allow guys to walk. Um, Baltimore is spending north of two hundred million dollars in cash this year on the offensive side of the ball for perspective. Green Bay spending like forty, right? (laughs) And that's including, you know, David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, all that stuff. So the time is kind of coming for that Baltimore Ravens defense. And Stone is going to be a victim of, you know, not being able to uh, be able to keep him on the roster. So that's an opportunity. And um, the guy who's running pro personnel for Green Bay, by the way, uh, came from Baltimore. Mel Hendrickson. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's that big of a deal, but like. I'm sure. He has some sort of info
1: on stone. So. And some connections. Absolutely. Now it's definitely a name to keep an eye on would not be surprised if that was a name that green Bay had on their list of potential free agents. It's sort of that sweet spot of nobody that's going to break the bank, but would come in and immediately be an upgrade immediately be a starter. And you would, I think notice a n- noticeable difference from any safety that's on the roster right now to Gino stone. And I just, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, I was going to make a no stone unturned joke, but I decided against it. You're welcome. Everyone justice. Thank you so much for doing this all year long. This has been an absolute joy. I've been looking forward to it every single week that we've done it. I'm sure we're going to touch base in the off season and we'll absolutely uh, have to do this again next year. But in the meantime, tell everyone where they can find all of your awesome work.
0: Yeah. Acme company.com. Come to the website, subscribe to our uh, podcast feed. We're going to be recording stuff. Um, Our buddy, Tyler, Tyler Brooke is going to be recording with me when we do our draft series. I don't know what position we're going to hit first. I'm about to get the college all 22. I'm probably we're probably going to do deep dives on uh, running back, offensive line, inside linebacker and safety this year, Um, depending on. How stuff shakes out in the offseason, we might add a couple more guys to it, but those are the positions we're going to look at hard because I think that's probably where a lot of these high Packers draft picks are going to end up going. Yep.
1: Just don't steal too many of my viewers on your your beautiful, amazing YouTube channel. Tyler did an awesome job last year on his draft uh, videos as well. So uh, definitely make sure everyone go out and check out that. It will be absolutely amazing, I am sure. Again, you can follow Justice at J-U-M-O-S-Q. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. You can find the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That is going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!